Football is very much back, and right now, Bet365 offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, and anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall football in the Premier League, and games are coming pretty much every single day. And the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and where you can create your own personalised bet. If you can't watch a game live, then do not worry. The Bet365 Match Live features can be used on the app and you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play or the Apple App Store. Remember, over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John. With me this uh, this Saturday afternoon uh, is uh, Mike. Uh, yeah, hi John. And Colin. Good afternoon, John. And Adam Leventhal. Tom and them, let's get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the tone of this podcast has, has started and it's, it's probably going to continue for quite a while. But, but Mike, you know, it is the, the day after, the morning after, the night before, and it wasn't a night where we went out and had a legendary night on the beers. Watford lost 3-1 at the London Stadium. Where are you at, at this point, with two day, games to go? Oh, all over the place, really. I mean, I think the, the ultimate feeling is one of deep, deep, deep disappointment you remember when we spoke last week after the podcast I was a little bit more reticent about where we were as a result of that Newcastle win I felt that Villa and Bournemouth couldn't continue their appalling streak and so it and so it transpired so the the positivity that we felt after the Newcastle game was quickly doused in the in the following 24 hours wasn't it and that set up the West Ham game as a as a as a massive one if not a must win then a probably don't lose um, and they have lost it, but I think it's the manner in which they lost it um, that is incredibly hard to take. But that said, not a massive surprise. Not a massive surprise. Seven games since lockdown, seven appalling first half performances and plenty of chances to secure safety. Pretty much just slipped through our fingers, really. So just really, I feel quite sad, really, for, um, you know, for the for the club. It feels like the club is going in the wrong direction. I just think it's... It's a regrettable team at the moment, isn't it? It doesn't feel like a team that is performing to the level it should. It feels like there are issues, and I feel sad about that. Well, the issues, uh, and and I think the reasons why you weren't surprised by our uh, performance last night, we will discuss in this podcast, but but the game itself, Adam, Mike said it it was a slow start, and it was a painfully slow start. Yeah, there, there wasn't really a start at all. It was, it was as if they they never they never got going. They never seemed to sort of mobilise the troops to actually do anything at the start of the game. And I think that that's what was so confusing that it was teed up as a you know a, a must not lose match. And all the talk during the week was yes, we have to deal with the pressure, but we have to be able to still with a with a freedom to express ourselves and things like that. And yeah, now the dust has settled. You can look back at opportunities that there were when the ball was flung forward and Saar was looking dangerous and the Sky commentators were saying, oh, this is a guy of real talent. Yeah, that's great. There was one spark of goodness in that first half and that was Ishmael Saar. But the rest of it was pathetic, to be honest. It was disorganised. It was a performance that didn't really suggest that any in-depth, cohesive planning had been laid out to deal with with West Ham and even if they had been on the beers all week the least you would have expected was organization and discipline and fight those are things that anyone can do but there was none of that at the start and it was just chaos and I just was so surprised that it was it was allowed to happen really that the fullbacks obviously you know Messina and, and Kiko before they made mistakes for the respective two goals at the, at the very start 
they were already getting themselves out of position. I thought in midfield, I was surprised by the way that they set up in the first place. I think Abdoulaye Decore for the majority of the time has been playing in the advanced midfield position. So to switch him back to um, the holding midfield role in the absence of Etienne Capou, I thought was, was only going to confuse him in what he was going to be doing. And I thought that Tom Cleverley wasn't really up to speed to be playing the position that he'd been put in. And then, yeah, it was, it was Ben Foster as well, who didn't seem to be at the races, which is, which is really frustrating. You don't want to sort of pin anything in particular on any individual because they are human beings and sometimes they make mistakes and that happens. But collectively, there was far too many under par performances. And that's also with the captain as well, Troy Deeney. He didn't look, he didn't look fully fit. He, that's that's just the fact of the matter. Let's it's, not forget. It's not, let's let's not forget either, Adam. I said I was sad, and I am, I am sad more about the, the general situation. But the fact that this was another first half performance that was just beyond acceptable, it was just appalling, makes me incredibly angry. Let's not forget that West Ham will have gone into that game full of nerves as well. They were hardly, yeah. you know, they've hardly set the world on fire since they came back. They had that good win against Chelsea. They're struggling. If they'd have lost, they're deep in it as well. And not to be able to at least to sort of land a glove on them in mm. that first half. And for it to happen again, it's not as if it wasn't, we haven't seen this template before. I just find it baffling that in the time that they've had together, they haven't been able to put to put together a coherent plan to come out of the blocks faster yeah. against a relegation rival in the most important game of the season. It, it beggars belief, and it's not like we were playing Man City like we are on Tuesday or one of the decent sides. This was a, a team who's on the same amount of points, who's had the same struggles as us all season, and we rolled over and had our tummies tickled the exact same way as we had in the previous games. And that's what's so infuriating about it. And I know you've talked about um, individuals there, and we're right to... But as a collective, there mm. has to be responsibility for that. It is complete. It's unforgivable, uh, as much as it is. And you said, and it, you said confusing, and it is confusing. That's that almost takes the edge off it. It's so baffling. It's almost so baffling that you can't be that angry because it's like, well, something must have happened here uh, for them to be this bad in the first half of every single game. But it, it, it's so so worrying, and it, it just makes me so cross. So cross. Half time came. Changes were made. Messina um, came off. Mariapa came on. Decore is put in the, the slightly more forward position we, we've been used to him playing. And, and Colin, it was brighter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brighter. It was a bit brighter. We got a goal. <laughs> and we got a goal, which was nice. Uh, it's always nice when Watford score. We've seen that before, haven't we? We saw it in the Norwich game. We saw it in the Newcastle game. We were able to fight back against um, teams and, and get uh, sort of sneaky wins. Um, but this time being 3-0 down, it was, it was a big ask, but we scored a goal. Um, we definitely were more on the front foot second half, but you know, we, we dig ourselves into these enormous holes and then we have to try and climb out of them. And we have conceded first in every single game, I think, since we've come back from lockdown, which is, um, a pretty appalling stat. And, uh, we haven't been able to get going. And I don't really know what that is. I think if, um, if you had a psychoanalyst to sit down with you and talk about collective mentality collective psychology you come out you prepare you work all week and i i i know because i'm I'm fairly sure that as a group of professional footballers who play in the premier league that they would have come to the ground uh, with a positive mental attitude and so would the coaches but somewhere between getting off the coach and walking onto the pitch and waiting for the whistle to blow it evaporated. And so the first 20 minutes was a total disaster. I mean, it was just a disaster. And OK, they were they were good goals. Declan Rice's strike is a good goal. I mean, he doesn't put that in every time he hits it. Do you know what I mean? And he, we were a bit unlucky. And I know that Foster was mentioned earlier. And I thought he was a bit unlucky for that first goal because... When the ball was hit, it came off uh, Cavaselli, I think. It was, so it slowed the ball down. And he would have probably got to it as his instinct told him to go out for it. And then he realised that it had a deflection and it slowed down and that Antonio was going to get there first. And he tried to backtrack and actually probably would have been better carrying on and just you know, trying to get down or block it or whatever. But So I felt a bit sorry for him there and it went straight through his legs, which is one of the things that happens when you're in a relegation fight. But it was like Keystone Cops, really. If, if, you know, the, the, the second goal was a header where the guy was allowed a free run, got above his defender, knocked it in. I mean, it was, it was comical and keystone coppery. But in the second half, we improved and 
<sighs> so you think, well, there's something there, but at the moment we're not. We're only seeing it when we've lost, really. Colin, yeah. like the the only thing that we're seeing is that yes, they respond to a rocket, but where are the rockets before the game? Yeah, it, you maybe. can't you can't fall back on being told, "Come on, boys, we haven't been doing what we said we were going to do every <laughs> no. game." You can't, you can't, and and that goes on to your, you know, the point that you were saying there that something is missing. It might be an intangible, but it is definitely missing that that connection between what they're being told and what they go out and do is yeah. disjointed and uh, and. They, Obviously, they, you can see the goal they continue in the first to do four it. minutes. It's going to have an effect on your sort of collective psychology. So you double down, then you, 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 you redouble you, your efforts. What basically what's happened is you've gone out with a plan, and it's been absolutely blown to pieces in the first nine minutes. And 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 but that shouldn't happen. The point is, you're, you're absolutely right, Adam. That should not happen. Those two goals should not be scored because you should be at a mental at a mental level, a mental state where you are ready to do the fighting that you need to do. I mean, let's turn it around the other way, for instance. Uh, Mike said that I'm sure West Ham were feeling nervous before that game, and I'm sure they were. But it didn't happen to them. They came mm. out all guns blazing. They they got, you, you can argue, it's quite fortunate to score two goals in the first nine minutes, but they put themselves in position to score those goals, and they scored them. They did not do what we did. They didn't mm. sit back and look cautious and worried and anxious and not pick up their man and not close down and not pass it to each other. They did the opposite. So whatever they're doing prior to a game as they come out onto the pitch is working because they put in some mm. good performances over the last uh, month or so. But we have not been able to do that. We have been poor, as Mike said quite correctly, in every single first half, in every single first 20 minutes, we have not been at the races. And uh, I'm sure that the the reason for that is manifold, but also very difficult to pinpoint and probably very difficult to change. I'm sure they're trying to change it. They, they, they're not the sort of players, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but they don't look like they just think, oh, sod it. I can't be bothered. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go back to France. I'm going back to here. I'm going to get a move. I'm going to... It doesn't look like that. It looks like they come out and then they just fall to pieces. And it's it's very hard. And then they recover. And then they play quite well in the second half. And in the last two games, managed to get the win. But in this game, we were too far behind. Had we got a second goal in se on 75 minutes, we would have put... I mean, they did start to look a little bit worried, West Ham, when they were when they were retreating in the last 20 minutes. But I never felt really that we were going to be able to get two more goals. Adam, the substitutions, I suppose, for me, stood out a little bit. What was the sort of point of them? Was it, as Mike said, let's double down, let's go for it? I didn't even feel like the half-time substitution was necessarily doing that. But he was a little bit, I don't know, I don't know what, quite what the, the, the point was, of it was. Was it was it almost the fact that Deeney's injury was too much and we have a squad that just isn't able to do as much as we want them to do? I think the, the fact that Adam Messina had had a, such a difficult first half. And you don't want to see anyone <laughs> get hooked, uh, you know, at half time. Um, but he, you know, he has to be responsible for his performance. He's a he professional, was terrible. he gets paid. But yeah, he was absolutely um, terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. I've never seen him no, play of so course. badly. Absolutely. But it, that has been coming. You know, yeah. he's not been, he's not been any stretch the player that he was in the initial period of time under under Nigel Pearson when he looked uh, a revelation when he eventually came in after Kiko Femenia switched back over to to the right hand side and it, I mean it is strange actually you look at Kiko Femenia great and this was highlighted in, in you know in the commentary yesterday Gary Neville was pretty scathing that you know he's he's a footballer but he's not a defender yeah. um which is which is yeah fine fine I understand that but he was far better when he switched to left back in the second half and he was far better as left back when Nigel Pearson initially took over so that's been a bit of a, a jumble from the very start the fact that Adrian Mariapa came in and yeah he did he he did a job we shouldn't be in a position where we're having to bring Adrian Mariapa on at half time to sort of shore up a defense no. it also tells a tale that uh, Jose Holobas wasn't involved my understanding is that it's basically just down to Nigel Pearson not fancying him. Obviously, Holobas is out of contract, um, but it's uh, it's just a, it's another sign, really, that um, you know that he potentially rubs people up the wrong way. Um, maybe that's a misunderstanding. Whatever it is, I don't I don't know, and I don't particularly care anymore um, because he's probably going to be leaving the football club. But but it's just another little thing, another little thing 
another thread to pull at that you think, right, hang on a minute, you've got a backup left back. Why is he not on the bench? Oh, he's, we don't fancy him. Okay, fine. I'd much rather have a utility centre half right back who can slot in anywhere and we'd be willing to switch our full backs just to make it okay because I don't want to pick Jose Halabas. That's just another thing that's just an irritant after last night. In terms of the other substitutions, I'm not sure in terms of why Abdullah Decore was brought off. We didn't get an opportunity to ask in the post-match news conference because quite fittingly the uh, the connection for the Zoom call was was terrible to say the least. Um, so that was all that was all garbled and, and nonsense anyway. So we couldn't actually get to ask that question. In terms of Dini, yeah, look, he yeah, he's playing through pain. He's got um his his knee injury, it needs to be heavily iced, all this sort of stuff. But then you start to look on and I I suppose we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but it shouldn't be in a in a position where we're asking a player in the latter years of his career who's got a chronic knee injury that's not quite recovering to play through the pain just to get us through. It shouldn't be that we're in this sort of circumstance and there should be an alternative plan. Yes, he's a leader. Yes, he's the talisman, all that sort of stuff. But, and I've written a, you know, a long article about it for the athletic, but it's just another reminder that a lots of cans have been kicked down the track with this Watford side and, and things haven't properly been, been dealt with. And now it's all coming home to roost. So yeah, all in all, when those when those substitutions were made in the second half, we lost any chance, um, and that's saying something because the player that went off could barely move around. I know Troy Troy is you know he's he's been a great captain and he and he scored the goal, which was great, and he upped his levels in the second half. But for him to come off and for us to lose um, any cohesion up top tells you everything about the people that are waiting in the wings. And yeah, it's just another reminder that that mistakes have been made in terms of recruitment and squad strengthening. I can sum the, the match up, I think, chaps. I think, and we have to face facts. Watford FC class of 2019-20 is, is a bad football team. That is the, the bottom line. And I think there are lots of things feeding into it. There's confidence, there's luck, there's um, mistakes with recruitment. But there is no getting away from the fact, and that's why I'm relatively sanguine. I'm cross about the um, about the way the performances have, have transpired. But the reality is, this is a bad football team. It's looked like one since April last year. The writing was on the wall towards the end of last season. The writing was on the wall in a much bigger font after the first two games of this season. We lost at home comfortably to Brighton and, and West Ham. And nothing has got better throughout. There's no getting away from it. This is a bad team, and they are where they are because that's where they deserve to be. There's no dressing up, there's no getting away from it, and that's why last night wasn't a surprise. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans, from the rookery end. Clearly, Watford have issues, and I suppose I, I want to, for comfort and my sanity, uh, figure out what those issues are. Um, where is it? Is it the coach? Is it the players? Is it what's the, the men upstairs? Is it probably an aggregation of all those things you know Colin with the, the, the coaches we've had Nigel Pearson has come in and we've outperformed since he did all the teams around us he's taken us from the the, the bottom of the league to being fourth from bottom uh, and done a magnificent job the question of course is is he going to be the manager uh, next year uh, is he the right man who knows where, where are you at with, with Nigel that's a very good question, John. And what I find interesting about what's happened with Nigel, and let's not forget we were rock bottom on nine points after 16 games uh, when he came in. So the idea that any coach could really turn us, uh, uh, turn it around seemed optimistic, to say the least, or that's how I felt. And I like Nigel, and I've got some friends who are Leicester fans, and they said he's the perfect man for that job. He's a great man-manager. He'll motivate that squad. You've got good players, and he'll try and get you out of it as best he can. And over the Christmas New Year period, we saw that, and we saw player. He was getting tunes out of players. We, he was getting tune out of the team as a collective. We were beating teams, West Ham, Wolves. You know, we were, we beat Man United. We drew with Spurs. You know, we, we, he got us going. But what's happened is that we to have reverted somewhere, or at least the squad has reverted back to its early season form. And it may be that what Nigel was able to do over the winter and into the lockdown. Uh, despite the terrible performance against Palace, which was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. Um, he, he hasn't been able to recreate whatever it was he was doing over Christmas and New Year 
with these players at this moment when we desperately needed him to do it, he hasn't been able to do it. Now, that, that may not be his fault because he's not Superman. He's got 25 professional footballers in front of him and he was able to get them going, as I say, over Christmas and New Year. But then since the lock, since we've come back, since Project Restart, we haven't, he hasn't been able to motivate them to uh, get them to play in the way that we hoped that they would uh, when we were looking forward to football coming, coming back. Now, it's very hard to know if you're not inside the club why that is. It may be that there's a couple of players there that pull in the, in the wrong direction. A couple of players are playing through injury. Clearly, I don't think Deeney should have been picked last night. I think that's insane. The reason he was picked is because there isn't anyone else to play up there, really. You throw Gray on. That's not plan B, is it? That's just plan minus A minus. So that, that doesn't, there doesn't seem to be an alternative, which is, I guess, why he's saying you've got to play. Come on, Troy, get us out of it. And he's the sort of chap that would do that. But the problem now is, Going forward, and if we are eventually relegated, um, what do you do then? If we stay up, is Nigel the right person, Nigel and Craig, to stay and rebuild the squad, get rid of some of the older players? Jose is obviously going, Pereira is going to go, maybe even Capu will go, and he can start bringing in young players like Bashiru and Quina and, uh, and Jao Pedro and bring in, bring in that and sort of freshen up the squad from within, if you like. Whether he's got the appetite for it whether the players respect him and will listen to him and go with him or whether you need to change and go with another manager in the Premier League season if we stay up as I say then I guess who is that person going to be why would they be better than Nigel Pearson where have they come from probably not with any Premier League experiences we've had in the past so it seems to me that uh, if we stay up they've got a decision to make and that will be based on personality and so on if we go down I think they'd be absolutely insane to get rid of Nigel Pearson and, and Craig Shakespeare. I think they're the obvious candidates to mount a challenge in the championship to try, try and get us back into the Premier League. That's where I am. I think, yes, he hasn't performed as well or hasn't got the team to perform as well in recent weeks. But if we were to be relegated, I think you'd have to stay with him because who else would you get? We'd lose a lots of players. He'd have to rebuild the squad. Uh, he'd have to get in some championship type players that can that can battle, you know, every four days uh, and freshen it up. If we stay up, I think it's a more complicated question about whether Nigel stays or not. And I'm not quite sure where I am with it. My instinct is just keep him. Just keep the same guy for and and see if he can rebuild the squad. As I say, some of the experienced players will probably leave and then and then see what happens. But um, rather than just say, right, you, you're done, we're going to get some guy you've never heard of from wherever, because that's done. We've done that before, and that's worked. Um, but if he keeps us up, I don't know. I think I think it's a more complicated question. If we go if we go down, then I think we should definitely keep him. Adam, you know, you've spoken with uh, the other two previous managers uh, who uh, uh, or head coaches from this season. And I mean, even looking even further back, we have had this continued change of, of manager. And every time there is a lift, but then there's downturn do you feel though this this change of coaches the fact that Nigel has done well but he hasn't really defined what Watford is he hasn't really had the chance to in fact it could be argued nobody really has for a very long time and when we spoke with, we spoke with Carl Anker at Southampton it really feels like you know they've given their manager the chance to look you figure it out you say what this club is going to be like and we'll be there and do it with you that there isn't that definition to how this team is led, is there? There's none. No, and 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 it's it's a it's a good one to mention Southampton because Ralph Hasenhutl has been given an opportunity to have scope to create a a DNA for the football club to have a, a playbook almost, and it's really interesting. Actually, you re read a couple of the articles that Karl Anker has actually written on the Athletic. It, it's great to get an insight into a football club that puts their head coach still within a structure, but front and centre of things, and tries to sort of furnish everything around what the head coach wants. And I know that completely goes against the Pozzo model, but this season has almost been an acceleration of everything that we thought could happen if you keep on um, undermining, essentially, your, your head coaches. And if you look at um, the two head coaches that we've had this season prior to Nigel Pearson, just two examples of... Um, things that have happened that suggest 
that it's not necessarily just down to the head coaches. I remember speaking to Javi Gracia and both of these um, interviews are obviously available on The Athletic and you can you can subscribe and all that. Um, but Javi basically saying that the defeat against Manchester City, yes, I know the form had been poor in the tail end of last season, but the defeat against Manchester City didn't have to be the end of something. It could have actually proved to be a galvanising force. Many people will be listening going, what is he on about? They, sh- they went in with the wrong tactics. They got absolutely hammered. Yeah, fine. I understand that. But if you've just given a head coach a new contract the November before, you've shown faith in him, you also have to show faith in him when times are bad. And if you then invest in him for that summer and then you get rid of him after four games, you've basically undermined the hierarchy's decision as well. You've not undermined just the manager, you've undermined the hierarchy's decision to keep him. So when the players then see that, they go, right, okay, head coach is gone. Well, why did they keep him if they didn't trust him? So you've got that sort of trickle down of a lack of trust in the various layers of the football club. And then when you look at Kike coming in, yes, it might not have gone to plan. He might not play the football that everyone would have liked him to have played. I I completely understand that. But when he raised the issue of... um, the sort of the extra scrutiny that he had on his training sessions and you know an, an extra member of of coaching personnel watching his training sessions and analyzing them and things like that yeah that's that's fine maybe that's doing due diligence but once again it's that little trickle of doubt in the head coach's mind and that's just not I was the I have way to say to just to things. break in just to break yeah. in Adam I, I was really shocked when I when I heard that that was what had been going on with Kika I thought golly you just you, you, you bring the guy back and then you tie one arm behind his back or you, you've got headmasters, the headmasters yeah. watching you to make sure you're... Prom- I, I do totally agree with you. I think that's incredibly undermining, not only for Kike himself, but also for the players like, why is so-and-so out here watching this training session? What, what, what's, what's he writing down on that pad? Is yeah. he writing about me? Is he... What's going... You know, there's a sense of... I mean, you can see this sort of sense of paranoia building and everyone, yeah, everyone looking at everyone else going, you know, who's... So, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry, to, to interrupt so carry on but I just yeah I was shocked when I heard that that was happening I've never yeah. heard of that before and I think it's really really bad I always think of it like that if you're being looked around and and it's almost like they're out of control of the situation that they're in and how do you control what's going on well you, you think well if I change the manager that will keep the control for me but they're clearly not making that the right decision if they have to study what he's doing There's there's no professional trust and you can't run and you definitely can't grow if there's no professional trust it has the it has the opposite effect i think because you mentioned you know the the players are watching someone watching the head coach what's that what are they thinking they're thinking this guy isn't long for this place um <laughs> we'll have another one off the rank um and uh we'll we'll deal with it then and whether it's subconscious um whether they're um a nasty bunch that think well we can we can freewheel until the next um, head coach comes in is is open to debate but there must be at least a subconscious feeling that's like well we'll just sort of, we'll, we'll 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 tackle this problem when when the next head coach comes in because one thing we can be sure of is there will be another one they're not going to get rid of 20 20 players um they're going to get rid of their head coach and it and it just and as i think adam was alluding to it sort of it just all builds in to a culture which leads to ultimately a bad football team because the players don't have any faith in in each other because part, they probably think, well, that guy over there um, thinks he should be playing Champions League. That guy there probably could be playing Champions League and probably will be next year. Um, I don't reckon that guy's bothered about the head coach. And, you know, I'm, uh, you know I'm, that, that's possible that that's happening. If, you, if you're in a workplace, there are those type of people. There's the, the, the guy who will do the, the minimum. The guy will, will stay until he's the last to turn the lights off the guy who is competent and will make sure he does his work done but nothing either side of that that's just the way it is and when you've got all these other little bits that's fine when you've got good management strong management but when you've got other things chipping away at it 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 falls away quite quickly doesn't it and i think you have to hold your hands up and you know i have been you know when i've been challenged by other people outside watford talking about the turnover of head coaches the first thing i always say is i don't actually think there's a desire to turn over the head coach as often as as they do i know scott duxby has often said 
they want the team to be stable, not the head coach. But I don't necessarily buy that. I think if they had someone in place for 10 years, I think they'd be absolutely delighted. But you have to say, and you have to assume, that the the turmoil in terms of the head coach position this time and all the, the extra bits that are going around on it, you know, I'd, I'd add, my, add my voice to that concern about someone overlooking Kike. It's, it just can't be healthy, and 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 as it's proved, and to, to go back a little bit further, Adam, you were saying the cup final shouldn't have been the end of something. It should have been a galvanising moment. You sort of suggested that people might say that's crazy. Absolutely not. Absolutely right. That should have been the first of our proper steps towards creating mm. something with this team. Yeah. If we're serious about this, what we'd done is something quite, quite incredible. We'd got to an FA Cup final, which for a club the size of Watford is no mean feat. The second time in our history, a wonderful occasion. The result didn't go to it. But getting to the Cup final, and with it, we were within a couple of games of qualifying for Europe. This is Watford. And that, no. that was a huge, huge achievement. And yes, it, it went south pretty quickly in the end. And yes, we didn't get what we want. But what a foundation. What a way mm. to show, well, this is what we can do when we're all pulling in the, in the right direction. Foundation is, is that the thing, like you say, that wasn't to build on. And Mike, you know, the, the team was the thing to, to build upon. They weren't 100% brilliant. They'd had weaknesses. And it, but it hasn't really been addressed. You know, we still have a weak defence. We're now reliant on Ishmael Azar too much. We're still reliant on Troy Deeney. Therefore, you know, haven't brought anybody in to really be a new threat up front. And it feels like the extra, extra special thing we need is injured in Spain at the moment because of Geladera Feyu. We've never built upon, and this squad hasn't changed anywhere near what it needed to be after the FA Cup final. No, and I think, you know, to, to say Gerald Delefeu is a great player and we obviously miss him, but to suggest that he's the missing piece is, is I think, is is uh, generous because he's, he's been in and out for Watford. Let's be, let's be honest. Mm. You know, the most recent memory mm. is Liverpool and the FA Cup semi-final in which both games he turned in big, big performances when the eyes of the world were on him. We miss him terribly. The big miss and the big concern I have is when... I don't think it's undeniable that Watford haven't strengthened enough. That Week in, week out on the podcast, we talk about how we look um, threadbare and, and worrying defensively. And in terms of attacking options, we've got nowhere near enough. So that's, I think everyone agrees that we've ended up with a, with a thin squad um, and one that has found it very, very difficult in the Premier League. But you look at when you talk about the missing players and the players that we've got hopes for, they're always players that are on loan somewhere. So they're either performing well in, in Spain and they'll be good when they come back next year. It's like, well, why are they there? Why aren't they playing for Watford? Why aren't they having an impact for the club that employs them? And that, that's really what I don't I don't get my head round get my head round. You've got Purvis Estepan who's been getting rave reviews in the last in the last couple of weeks. Why why can't he be having getting rave reviews for, for Watford? Uh Suarez um is got the the eyes of the world on him apparently. Hernandez is another one. It may well be something as simple as a uh, as a work permit visa issue, mm. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Adam, you you could come in on. Yeah, that. I think you're, I think you're right on that. That that's that has played a played a big part. But so on, why aren't so? And I and I understand we need to part getting them in and parking them, um, and and so hopefully they can play a part in the future is vaguely sensible. But it's not vaguely sensible when you're not going to be able to persuade them to play in the championship. So. Mm. Uh, and, and I we, we've benefited from the Pozzo model for for five five or six seven years now. We've in, we've enjoyed it very very much, and I think we've stuck up for it a lot. And I, I I have, but I think it's been brought into stark focus this year when you've got these players who are out there and just within touching distance, um, and we're not able to. We've got this pool of talent that's not available to us. And then you look at. Penuranda, he was, you know, he came in a, a blaze of glory, incredible. I was at the Under-19 World Cup, he, he performed so so well. And he comes, we don't see hide nor hair of him. Jao uh, Pedro comes in and we don't see anything of him. Even Ishmael Assar, and I, and I, I understand the, um, I understand you've got to you've got to be gentle with these players, and you can't just throw them in, and you've got to kid gloves it a little bit. But come on, it couldn't be much worse, could it? And it just feels to me that the, the key signings, the the, the stellar signings, all never arrive on time, and they never make the impact that that we hope they they would. And it's it's a big gamble. 
um, to have the, the 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 future hope of Watford not playing for Watford. Yeah, I agree um, with that, and I think that the, the, what that throws up for me is. Where are the Potsers? And Adam will probably be able to uh, answer this better than I can. But but from a just from a sort of spectator fan position that I'm in as a as a someone who sits in the ground and watches the games, I've I've watched what the Potsers do, and I do wonder really when they sign players like Luis Suarez or Andes or Purvis Estepan or uh, there's a there's a whole <laughs> there's a number of them. Are they really buying them and getting them into the Potso uh, stable, if you like? so that they can come and play at Watford or even at Udinese uh, and help them in their two, in, you know, in Serie A and in the Premier League. Are they really, really buying Purvis Estepan so that he will play right back for Watford? Or are they buying him and loaning him out and putting him in the shop window in Spain until Barcelona say, we quite like this right back, we'll give you 25 million for him. And they say, thank you very much. So the question that I have to ask myself is, they signed Craig Dawson for 3 million quid. They obviously signed him to come and play in our defence. But do they sign Purvis Estepan right back for Watford? And my, my gut feeling is... Probably not, because they understand the problems with permits and so on. So part of their business model is that you have to have a turn of good young talent from your scout, your, your world-renowned scouting system, and they come, they are bought ostensibly by Watford or by Udinese, but these days it seems mostly it's Watford that actually has the registration. And then they are loaned out here and there, and they have a season at Osasuna, and then they go to Alaves, or they come into, you know, and, and eventually they get they get moved on. And And I wonder really how strong the intention is when they buy this young talent to really get them to Vicarage Road to improve the squad, to play 50, 60, 100 games. We saw it with Richarlison. Yes, he did come, he played well and he was sold. We've seen it to some extent with Saar. Saar only started playing regularly until Pearson arrived. But there are all these other players. Is Kucha Hernandez ever going to pull on the number nine shirt for Watford or the number 47 shirt or whatever? And, and my, my gut feeling is... Quite possibly not. They have their clubs and they try to keep them in the top division. Then they have this third bit of their, bus- of their business, which is snapping up young talent before anyone else has noticed it, keeping it alive somewhere in Europe and then selling it onto a big club for a profit, which they then plough back into their two clubs. I understand that model. But as a fan, you see stuff online or you, you hear stuff about Kuchan and had another fantastic season in uh, in La Liga 2 and he's got this team promoted and now he's scored 15 goals in the last year. And you think, well, why isn't he get him to Vickery Road? We'll see him playing. But that doesn't seem always to be the actual intention they may have a kind of, if we can get them here, maybe yeah, that will be good. But there isn't like, I don't feel that that is their 100% intention. Adam, correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you've, I think you've summed it up very, very well indeed. But I think the one thing that is, is missing, and this is also um, relevant in terms of the way that the Watford in isolation has been run, it's been very top down, is that with all these lone players, with younger players coming through, the one thing that is missing at Watford at the moment is a clear pathway for a lot of players. And I think that that's one of the main things that they need to deal with. I think it's been more acute this season because of Watford's struggles that people have been looking elsewhere and talking about Kucha Hernandez or talking about Pervez Estupinian or talking about Luis Suarez or talking about a whole load of other players, even Ben Wilmot, who's playing in the championship for, for Swansea. Yeah. Why wasn't he someone that could have been playing uh, for Watford, especially after Troy Deeney had given him sort of a, a glowing reference earlier on when he couldn't play for Swansea and he was saying he's a future captain here. All right, fine, we'll bet him in, give him a chance. I think that that has been a, a, a key problem. I think that... The way that the Pozzo model is is run in terms of the scouting and recruitment uh, side of things, and this is a, another article that I did for The Athletic, that, yeah, and Gino Pozzo has sort of spoken about this in the past, that their, their aim is to unearth gems, polish them up and sell them on for a profit. But they are usually signed or scouted with a view to either be going to Watford, Udinese or both. And then obviously in the past, Granada was in- included in that equation as well. But what has been interesting this season, and, and it's basically because I've been sticking my nose into business, which not many other people have been bothering to do in, in the past, no fault of anyone else, but you know, this is my job. So that's what I've been doing. Um, that we've had an insight into a couple of other players that have been in situations where they have been given these proposals to come become part of the Pozzo family, um, like Mamadou Mbai, who 
we've spoken about who got involved in a a tete-a-tete with um Cadiz and Watford and you know who who does he belong to and all this sort of stuff and then the most recent one of of Pap Gay as well he didn't want to come because he'd been initially sold the dream of coming to play for Watford seemingly but then afterwards it was like oh well you're probably going to go to Udinese and we'll sort of rotate you around that doesn't necessarily appeal to a lot of players so I think that this this sort of period of time is 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 obviously difficult for Watford on the field, but it is also difficult off the field as well for for the the Pozzo recruitment network because they have to now look at Watford as a, as a football club and work out what it is. Is it a club that is going to continue to have that top down approach, or do they want to go back to the the Watford roots? Do they want to start developing? players so you've got that box ticked you've got an academy coming through and you're starting to bring players through yes you want to bring your best players that you've you've recruited from all around the world into the side but that's not going to happen if Watford are in the championship (laughs) I mean there are so many issues that are dependent on what happens over the next two games if hook or by crook Watford managed to stay in the Premier League then things might be slightly rosier but whatever happens they need to address some of the key issues which has basically highlighted that there's a problem with with culture with with sort of trust within the football club and for for those also wanting to come into the football club players and head coaches as well what head coach who's offered the job who has longer term plans, who is someone that maybe could have a team built around this person, would want to come to Watford at the moment when they've seen the body of work, which is 2019-20. It's, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to do it because I wouldn't ever feel guaranteed that I was going to be fully backed to do the job that I mm. wanted to do. And one other thing, Colin, that you said earlier on about Nigel Pearson, if Watford get relegated, he would be the person to, to, to be the manager in the championship. He would need to be able to pick the players that he wants to buy. He would need to be able to do that. He, you, was, you kept on saying, he. He, the, the head coach, any of the head coaches, never get the say that they want it's never down to to them. It's always the recruitment structure. It's the technical directors that cherry pick the players and then they are dealt the cards that they are dealt. That needs to change or at least the structure needs to be tinkered slightly. So there is more integration of thought of the head coach. Let's really plan and work together because until they start working together, you're going to end up with this cascade of head coaches and and players that are essentially disillusioned with the whole thing you end up with what happened last night and I think at the end of the game the two interviews I've seen summed it up perfectly you had Nigel Pearson talking about passengers which is Mm. pretty close to you know that that is that is damning in the best at the best of times let alone in the in the most important game in in Watford's Premier League history that is unadulterated saying that the players weren't weren't doing what they were supposed to and the other one Blessing Will Hughes, one of the only players to come out of the post-lockdown period with any sort of credit, was out there. He looked bereft, and he was saying, "It's no good us doing it if we don't go out there. Out there, mm. it's no good us saying we're going to go out there and do it, and then not do it." And what I took from that is he's got no faith in his teammates at all. Mm. That's what it looked like to him. He looked like he looked lost. He looked tired. He looked done in. So you've got passengers and you've got players who don't believe in each other. And that all, everything we've spoken about over the last sort of however long it's been, that distills down to that. And unless like everyone like we've talked about, unless it changes, it doesn't have to be a massive overhaul because as I've alluded no. to, we've benefited from this system. Watford are where we are because of this system. But something needs to change because otherwise you get passengers, you get players who don't trust each other and you get Watford turning out performances like that and seasons like this, which is no fun, not acceptable and can't be allowed to continue. Which rather begs the question, um, and I know there's been some talk about uh, the Pozzos being ready to sell over the past two seasons. There's been little things have come up and then they've disappeared again. We haven't heard about it. And then they've come up again that this, these these owners are, are possibly willing to look at the possibility of selling uh, Watford. Well, after everything you said, Adam, and everything you said, Mike, I just it does rather beg the question, are they really the right owners to take a club the size of Watford 
forward, or not even forward, but to sort of stabilise, because at the moment it seems that we are in um, a free fall. And if you took that performance last night and you put it into the championship, we will get eaten alive by well, I've teams. Got, I've got a- a fatalistic with, with less, point of with, view. They've got team, teams with less good players would certainly batter us, and, and we could find ourselves in, in the place that many clubs have been before: Stoke, Portsmouth, Charlton. You fall out of the top division. You're not. You, you've got the wrong owners. Let's say I put that in inverted commas. You've got the wrong players again in inverted commas, and you can tumble down into League One, and then you have to start all over again. So the question really is something that I I, I feel like the Potsers aren't going to be here forever because that's because no one is. But maybe maybe they've done what they can do and maybe it, it might be time for someone to come in who might uh, share some of the things that you were talking about and giving creating trust and, and employing a head coach that they trust and backing uh, their head their coaching staff through difficult times i don't know it's it's just a, it's a, it's an open question i'm not sure if it's, this is the answer but my feeling is is this and it is a deeply depressing one i do think having talked it through i do think it can be changed with some changes and some looking at yourselves internally but i think what watford have managed to do we've managed to manoeuvre ourselves into a situation where we're completely ill-equipped for the premier league and we're also completely ill-equipped for the for the championship such is the overhaul that would be required to make a success of either outcome um, and I think it's a result of all those things not going quite right. We've, you know, we must preface this by saying staying in the Premier League is extremely difficult. A lot of things have to go right and you have to have a bit of luck to keep a team like Watford in the Premier League. You know, we've all started projects, whether it's work or whatever, where think you've started off with the best intentions. You think, oh, how, why did I put that bit in there? And chapter six doesn't read right. And why have I got in? And it just doesn't work for whatever reason. So it is difficult and it's, it's easy for us to be critical, especially after, you know, ultimately we're supporters and we want to see our team win and we haven't seen enough of that so we're grumpy it's bound to happen but it is difficult but I think we've just in such a difficult place now if we stay up we need we need an, an overhaul if we go down we need an overhaul and that's going to be in force because half of these players will not play in, in the championship and I find it dispiriting and and worrying and I think that's why I bring it up now Colin I think I'm with you how do you get out of a, of a mess like this because it, it feels like we are one roll of the dice away from it being a complete mess that's going to be very very difficult to to extricate ourselves from it's that that's not an answer or really a question it's just it's it's just my feeling and i think we yeah, are I mean, the question are, is do we need I, an overhaul of the st- of the coaching staff and the players and do we need a change in the way the club is run because if we all agree that um, standing behind your new head coach and taking notes about his training session is something that will only create paranoia, competition, the wrong sort of uh, culture. Are, are we re- what we really need? It seems from what Adam has been saying and stuff that uh, you know I've I haven't heard um, articulated it in such clear terms before. Is it that we just need? Oh, we need a, a centre half. Oh, we need a player that's going to come in and do this. Or we need a coach that's got. That. What is it more? What we need is a change of attitude from the top to say right we're going to employ this person we're going to back them we're going to listen to the sort of players that they want to bring in they're going to listen to the system that they want to play rather than try to top down manage top down control head coach say no we don't want you to play the team like that we want to play like this this is the player we bought for you that he will fit into the system that we want you to play and if you constantly do that coaches will either leave they'll get dispirited they'll feel constantly overlooked and watched and they won't perform at their best because nobody will perform at their but imagine John if you were teaching year five and every single day the headmaster came into your into your class and stood there for an hour and a half taking notes on how you're teaching year five what would you feel like you would feel undermined you would feel threatened you would feel your job was on the line and this is what head coaches seem to have been going through at Watford so is it that we need an overhaul because clearly we need an overhaul because all clubs need to, to, to kind of evolve every single season but is the problem the really fundamental problem is the way that the club is run from the top down and the way that the players and the coaches feel uh, under that sort of regime I don't know I'm not there every day but it's it's certainly a question that has come into my mind from listening to what everyone has said so far on this podcast can i just make one final point Please and, I, I, and it and it kicks on it kicks on from that you know what does need to happen 
I agree with what Mike has said. I, I think it needs a, a sort of a root and branch look into to what is, is wrong. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is disbanded, whether we stay up or, or we go down. But what needs to change, and hopefully this season will be the light bulb moment that Troy Dini maybe has been talking about on the pitch, but, but the light bulb moment for the hierarchy at the club. The communication in terms of Watford in the community has been very, very good. They've been, they've been very happy to talk about that. But what they need to be better at, um, is to sort of park the, the, the bullishness and the ruthlessness, um, that, that, that seems to exist in the hierarchy. And I'm talking about Gino Pozzo here. I'm talking about the owner of the football club. I'm talking about Filippo Giraldi. I'm talking about Scott Duxbury uh, as well. They need to communicate. Because that has been the big thing that has been missing. Because if they were able to articulate better exactly their thinking about things and were able to say, yeah, you know what, we've made a mistake here. I, I do apologise about that, but we are trying hard. When you have a vacuum, when there is no communication, it leaves fans to think, oh, well, they just don't really either care or know what they're doing. And that's a, that's not a good position to be in. I don't believe that any of those three people that I have mentioned don't have the best interests of the football club at heart. And I have no doubt whatsoever that this will be killing them inside, seeing that the club that they have helped sort of put together um, really, really struggling in the Premier League. But they need to talk about it. And everyone, from the coaches, from the staff, from the hierarchy... If we're going to go forward, whatever division we're in next season, everyone needs to be on the same page. There needs to be bridges built and that goes internally, but also externally as well. Everyone needs to be able to buy into something they trust. And I think that that's the most important thing as, as we kick on from here. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to get out of doing this podcast. It's often a great thing to sort my head out. And I suppose in some ways we've begun to answer what we need to do next and I don't think this is if we go down if we go up but it just seems a bit bigger all of a sudden <laughs> and, and I don't maybe maybe I was trying to uh, sort my head out ready for these last two games of the season uh, to be a little bit more sane uh, and not so much dread but I think it's been fantastic listening to you all uh, hearing you know the you know, hearing that there is a lot to do, but actually we're not in this to, to change everything all at once because that's just the worst thing in the world. But there's there's lots of little things in every area that does need to change uh, for Watford to be successful in getting re-promoted or to be successful to kick on as a Premier League football club. There's plenty of work to be done and only two games of football left in this season. We'll see what happens. Remember, you can get a subscription to The Athletic uh, and it's free for the next 30 days uh, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookieend and you can read all the articles Adam has sort of mentioned uh, from all his investigations this season uh, there and it's a, a jolly good read uh, and you can listen to this podcast with no adverts uh, via The Athletic app. So that's theathletic.com forward slash rookieend. Thank you very much, Colin. Thank you, John. And thank you, Michael. Cheers, chaps. I'm looking forward to eating an enormous piece of humble pie when we swap uh, Man City and sweep aside <laughs> Arsenal and finish 13th in the table. Uh, cheers, oh. chaps. And thank you very much, Adam. Pleasure, gents. Great to talk to you, as always. Thank you. Two games to go, and only one thing to say. Come on, you all! 